Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 40. And if you look at it carefully, you realize that, gee, that's the last chapter in the book of Exodus. We are bringing our study of the book of Exodus to an end. We've seen so much in this. Let me just remind you something. We started, of course, with the book of Genesis. Went through Genesis, and of course, when you end Genesis, they're basically down in Egypt, so you have to get Exodus to get them out of Egypt. I want to remind you of something. We started the book of Genesis. I looked it up today because I had forgotten. We started the book of Genesis in February of 2008, and we finished it in... January of 2011. Then we started Exodus in February of 2011, and so we're finished it now. So it's about 16, 16 months on this. This is a much shorter book, of course. We all know that. That uh, <clears throat> so it just takes a little while to go through it. We're thinking about Leviticus, but that could be 17 years. So we probably won't do <laughs> Leviticus. Okay, but anyway. So we've seen so much in the study. We've seen God, how He delivered His people, how He redeemed His people from Egypt. We've seen He's the provider and protector in the wilderness. We see that He sets His people apart by giving them a law, making them, as the Bible calls it, a peculiar people, setting them apart, making them His people. It's a power. Powerful, powerful book. We see his love, his protection, his guidance. As we close the study, we're going to finish. In fact, as you look at the very end of this part, he, they complete the tabernacle. That's basically from about chapter 25 to 40 is the tabernacle and building it and putting it together and the different things that happen. We're going to see what happened when they build it, God's response. We see him giving, we see the nation giving freely to build the tabernacle. We're going to talk a little bit about it. And, and so let me, let me tell you what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going to finish Exodus tonight. Next Wednesday night, I'm going to do a one-time message of an overview of the tabernacle. And then probably when we start in the fall and we go back to Sunday night, I'm going to do a detailed study of the book of Exodus, excuse me, of the tabernacle. And when we finish the tabernacle, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. Okay, I, I looked it up. I, I, did the, I did the tabernacle study. The last time I did it was 1988. Okay, that's like 24 years ago. Uh, the book of Hebrews, I did it 13 years ago. So I think that when you see Genesis that takes them and then Exodus and brings them out and they're a people and they get the law and they get all this, well, when we look at the, ex- at the tabernacle, which is going to probably take eight weeks maybe to put that together on Sunday nights, and then following that we jump to Hebrews, which is New Testament, but it's basically a bringing together of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I think it'll be a, a really fun study. Well, this evening, what we're going to do is we end, we're going to do three things. First of all, first of all, we're going to see the completion of the tabernacle, and we're going to focus a little bit on the ark. Then we're going to see God's response where he dwells with his people. And then we're going to get just a brief <clears throat> overview of the book of Exodus. So let's, let's pray, and we'll get into the study. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you so much for the study over these years. First of all, the Genesis and seeing the creation and the fall and the flood and and uh, the spreading out of the people and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of the different things that we saw. And now we see Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt and how you took care of them and you bring them and you provide and protect and all of those things. So, Lord, thank you for this great study and help us as we study it, how we see things, how that we can know that the things in the Old Testament were written for our instructions and that you teach us. And so help us, Lord, as we do this. Help us as we look at, at the end of the book of Exodus and see how it fits together. Thank you, Lord, for our Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that the whole Old 
Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, who lived the perfect life, who died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again and gives eternal life to all who believe. Thank you, Lord, for that great message. Teach us now, Lord, as we study. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever been lonely? Is being alone the same as being lonely? Think about this. We can be alone and not be lonely. And we can be in the midst of a group of people and be lonely. Lonely is a feeling of sort of being left out, excluded, separated. Being lonely is in need of a fellowship or relationship, something like that. Uh, Sometimes when we're by ourselves, we feel alone. Sometimes when we're by ourselves, we feel lonely. But there's a great truth from the Scripture, and that is we're never really alone. Because our Savior Jesus Christ is with us. He says, I'll never leave you, forsake you. What should you fear? He's always with us. We can have that fellowship with Him day after day after day. In fact, think about this. We need to realize that we have an eternal relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. So we're always with Him in that sense. And then we can have ongoing fellowship with God day by day. So not only do we have an eternal relationship with Him, which is simply by faith in Christ and we have eternal life, but we can have an ongoing fellowship with Him day after day after day. So we're never alone. We don't have to be lonely. Well, this evening, as we look at the completion of the tabernacle, the Jewish people, we're going to see God's response. And you know what it is? It's to dwell in the midst of the people. You remember that one time, because when we studied this, and this was back when we were looking at it on Sunday night, that they made the golden calf. And God came to them and basically got on them and, and, and said to Moses, uh, I'll go with you to the land, but I will not be in the midst of you. And that was a pretty strong statement. That was God saying, I'll be there with you, but I'm not going to dwell among you. And boy, Moses basically said, if you're not going to dwell among us, don't, let's, don't even send us. We don't want to go. We don't want to go without you. And so what God did basically is as they dealt with the golden calf and they dealt with their sin and God gave them the law and all of these things, he set them back apart and now he's going to be with them. He's going to be in the midst of the camp because when they build the tabernacle, ultimately the tabernacle goes right in the middle. In fact, as you look at the Bible and how it fits together, you'll see there was three tribes this way, three tribes this way, three tribes this way, three tribes this way, and the, the, uh, the tabernacle was right in the middle. And so it was amazing. And uh, so this evening, as we see the completion of the, the tabernacle, we see that God dwells among it. And, and what's so great about it is that when we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, what happens? God comes to live inside of us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? And no matter where we go, no matter what we face, God is always with us. Well, this evening, we finish Exodus. And as I said, we've been in this about, about 16 months but, you know, you got Sunday night and you got different things that go on. And, you know, so it's, it's not every week that we would meet. There's some, sometimes we don't meet. The book simply gives us God's deliverance of his people, Israel, from the bondage of Egypt and, and setting them apart and providing for them. The title Exodus, if you remember, comes from two Greek words, ex, which, ek, which means out of, and adas, which means the way. So ex adas, exodus, means the way out. And that's what it's about. It's God bringing his people out of bondage. As we begin, let me just remember where we are. Moses has come down from Mount Sinai, bringing instructions to the people. He brings them the Ten Commandments, instructions, also giving them instructions for building this tabernacle. In the book of Hebrews, it actually tells us that God showed Moses the tabernacle in heaven and that was the pattern for which he made the tabernacle on the earth. It's a powerful truth. 
We saw last time that Moses told the people that they were to build the tabernacle as a place of worship. And Moses said this, whoever wants to give, how are we going to build this thing? He said, whoever is moved, whoever would like to give, please bring things. And, and he named out things like gold and silver and cloth and animal skins and just all kind of things. Well, before you know it, people started bringing things, and they started bringing things, and they kept bringing things. And finally, there was so much that Moses had to say, we have plenty. Don't bring any more. It was amazing. They were free will offerings, and they gave more than enough. This evening, we see the completion of the tabernacle. Really, if you start thinking about it, all the way back to chapter 25 to 40 is the information about, about it, but it's more detailed. As we look at the tabernacle, we saw some of this last time. There was the, the altar out front where they made sacrifices. There was the laver in which they washed. There was the holy place which had the lampstand, the bread, and the altar of incense. And then there was the holy of holies, which had the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat on top of that. And we talked about also the high priest, which was Aaron and his family. So when you think about the tabernacle, and we're not going to go in detail at all tonight, just mostly on the ark. Uh, of the covenant, and next week we're actually going to go, and I'm going to go really fast, we're going to take and we're going to look at the tabernacle as a whole, the out part, the the altar, the laver, the lampstand, the bread, the altar of incense, all three veils, there are three veils, a front veil that took you in, the next veil that took you into the holy place, and another veil that took you in the holy of holies, we're going to talk about all that, we're going to talk about the ark of the covenant outfit, and we're going to talk a little bit about the priesthood and how that Jesus, and everything Everything is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. That's what makes it so amazing. And we're going to see that, more of that next time, but all the, all the picture of the person, the work of Christ. Now, this evening, three things. The tabernacle, with the focus on the ark. God's response, how he makes his presence known. And then just a brief overview and application from the book of Exodus. So let's begin with the tabernacle, okay? And we'll just talk about it very, very briefly. The people gave freely to build this place of worship and fellowship. That's what's so amazing about it. Next week, we're going to talk all about what it was for. It was a place of worship. It was a place of forgiveness. It was a place of fellowship. It was uh, all kind of different things there. We saw they brought the free will offerings to the Lord. Let me, let me remind you of something. Mark, I don't know. Can you, can you find on that thing, uh, there's two, two slides. I think they're down at the bottom. I don't know. If we're, but one of, they're of the RT. Can you find them? Can you put one up? Okay. Let me just, uh, can you put the other one up just for a second so they can see how it looked? That's how it looked. There was a, a wall, uh, basically the fence around it, and then when you'd come in, and then there's the place where they offered the sacrifices. There's the little, little round thing is the laver in which they washed, and then you went into the holy place and the holy of holies. If you go back to the other one for just a second, if you, when, this is where you'd come in, and A is where they uh, offered the sacrifices. B is where they washed. They would go into the holy place. And on the, the, the north side was the table of showbread. On the south side was the lampstand at C. The E was an, oh, was, a, was an altar of incense, which went up all the time. Then there was a veil. And in the back room was the most holy place and had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me show you something. Just, just look with me at Exodus 40. If you just want to leave that up for just a second, Mark. Listen to Exodus. 40, look at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. We're going to find out that this is a year after they came out of Egypt. So they've been gone from Egypt for a year when they put this together. Watch. You shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. The first thing he said to do is see where it says, Most holy place, F. That's the ark. He said, put it in there and then put that veil in front of it, okay? Watch what he goes on to say. 
you shall bring in the table and arrange what belongs on it. The table is where they put the bread. Okay, that's D. Then he says, and you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. That's, that's C. Then he says, moreover, you shall set the golden altar of incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. That's E, and then the veil at the front part. Now watch what he goes on to say. You shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. That's A. He said, put that up there. You shall set the laver between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. That's B. That's where he's got it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the veil for the gateway to the court. That's the wall going all around. He's giving him all the instructions. Then he said this. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and shall consecrate it and its furnishings and it shall be holy. Now the word holy means set apart. He says you shall put the whole thing together, get it all set up for the people. Now watch. Look down at verse 16. Thus Moses did. According to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now, Moses has been known for doing what God wanted him to do. That's the characteristic of Moses. That's the character of Moses. When God would tell Moses to do something, Moses did it. Uh, About the only time that Moses failed was when? When he struck the rock and he was supposed to speak to the rock. Almost every other time, whatever God told Moses to do, he did. So Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now look, verse 17. Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. There it is. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Go ahead, Mark, and go back to the slides now. Uh, They did, what God, they did what God commanded to build it. And so on the first month of the second year, they had been out of Egypt about a year. The tabernacle was set up. Now, it's an amazing thing. And next week I've got some more drawings to give you an idea of what it looked like. And uh, they put it up. They got the wall, the, the altar, the laver, the tent, the furnishings. Everything's made ready. What's going to happen? Well, what I want to do is, is without focusing on all the other things like the altar out front, the laver, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the veil, then the Ark of the Covenant. That's in the back room. I want us to think about the Ark for tonight, okay? Just for a little bit. It was in the Holy of Holies. Now, let me remind you of something. Let's pretend that I'm walking into the holy place. And I walk in, and as if I look over here, there's a table and it's got 12 loaves of bread on it. And if I look over here, there's this lampstand made out of gold, and it's, it burns all the time. The job of the priest is to go in there once a week and change the, the bread out and go in there daily to make sure this lamp is always burning. In the back of the room, there's a big, there's like a, a veil, and there's another table, and that table's called the altar of incense, and it burns all the time, and smoke goes up representing the prayers of, of God for us. Okay? Then... In that behind the veil, which nobody could go in except the high priest once a year, behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And if you ever wanted to picture what it looked like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what it looked like. It's a very great representation of that. The Ark of the Covenant was a box made out of wood covered over to gold with a solid gold top. It's a picture of our Savior. Why? Because the box is made out of wood covered with gold. The wood represents the humanity 
And the gold represents the deity. It's Jesus Christ who is the God-man. Gold is God. Wood is man. He is the mediator between God and man. He's the perfect one. He's the only one who can be the gold between the perfect one. The ark is the place of satisfaction. It's actually the place that there was a satisfactory payment. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. Uh, it's a picture of Jesus Christ as our substitute to die for our sins, blood being shed, God being satisfied. Now, let me remind you of something. That the high priest once a year, the high priest once a year would go into that back room and he'd pour out the blood of a bull, which covered his sins. He'd come back later, pour out the blood of a goat, which covered the sins of the nation. Covering, when they poured that blood on the Ark of the Covenant, it did not pay for sins. It was a foreshadow of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will pay for sins. It's only covered sins. It was a foreshadow. The ark, yearly, the high priest would do that, and it would cover the sins of the nation. And we said that it is a foreshadow. I think the next slide is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would come, pour out his blood, not to cover sin, but to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First John 2, 2, he's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So every time the priest would go back there yearly and cover up sin, it was a foreshadow looking forward to the time that the Messiah would come and not cover sin, but pay for sin. So it's a beautiful picture. Everything in the Old Testament, everything connected with the law, everything is a picture of Christ. Every feast day, we've gone through the feasts. We did them not too long ago. All of the feasts of Israel had something to do with Christ and his work. The priesthood, something to do with Christ and his work. Every sacrifice, a picture of Christ and his work. The tabernacle and the temple, a picture of Christ in the work. So all of those things were just foreshadows. And we see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me show you something that's amazing. Inside the ark, inside the box. Now, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and they opened it up, they didn't find anything in there. And a bunch of angels came out and killed them all or whatever that was. But there was something in the box. Now, at first, there wasn't anything in the box. And, you know, if you if you talked about the Jewish people and, and they would see the people of Moab and, and, and Edom and, and the Philistines, and all of those peoples had gods. And the Philistines had a god called Dagon, which was half man, half fish. That sounds really good, doesn't it? And, you know, I mean, and, and you look at, and, and they had Molech, which was the, the Ammonites had this god named Molech, and they offered their, they had a big thing of him, and Molech was some kind of figure, and he had his hands up like this, and they would take their babies, there'd be a fire, they would offer their children as sacrifices to Molech, which is just hard for us to imagine. But if you, if you were one of those pagans, if you said your God, you'd say, well, our God is Dagon, or our God is Molech, or our God is Baal, or our God is this. But if you went to the Jewish people and you said, what does your God look like? What would they say? There is no representation. They might even say to you, what's in the box? You know, what's in the box? Because you're carrying around a box. What's in the box? Well, technically, there was nothing in the box. As time went by, they put three things in the box that God told them to put in there. Here's what they put. They put the thing. They put the law Manna and Aaron's rod. Now let me tell you what, what, what we, what we have here. And just so we can understand it. You remember when Moses went on the mountain? And while he was up there getting the Ten Commandments, they had a big orgy down there and they made the golden calf and they were ready to go back. And so as Moses came down, what did he do? 
He threw the law down and broke it. They took the broken pieces of the law and they put it in the box. Then the second thing was manna. God told them to take some of the manna that they had got every day, ultimately for how long? 40 years. Take some of the manna, put it in a golden bowl, put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we all know that manna lasted for how long? Basically one day unless it was unless it was the Sabbath and it would last for two days. But this manna lasted for years. It was in a golden bowl. And the third thing was Aaron's rod. See, Aaron was the leader. The rod that was called Aaron's rod is the same rod that Moses did stuff with. There was just one rod. They passed it back and forth. And one day people came and said, Why should Aaron and Moses be the leaders? We don't like it. We think we ought to be just as good leaders as they are. So they came up with a deal, and they said, let someone from each of the tribes bring a rod, put their name on the rod, 12 rods. We're going to put them. We come back the next day. The next day, 11 rods were the same, but Aaron's rod budded and had almonds on it. And it was God saying, that's the leader I've chosen. Now, so the three things were in the box. Now, they're all a picture of two things. They're all a picture of man's rebellion. They're all a picture of God's provisions. Watch. In man's rebellion, the law, they broke it. Before he could even get down the side of the mountain, they had already broken the commandments. So the broken tablets of law in the Ark of the Covenant were pictures of man breaking the law. But at the same time, it's God's provision because Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the law. Second, we see the manna. What did they do about manna? They griped and griped and griped and griped, and they said, how many ways are we going to have to fix this stuff? Well, let me ask you something. Were they supposed to eat manna for 40 years? Do you know that it's an 11-day journey from Kadesh Barnea, from, from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea? They were actually supposed to, after they got the law and were going to the promised land, it was only an 11-day trip. And when they got there and go into the promised land, what's supposed to happen once they get into the promised land? They eat the, the eat from the land. But they didn't go in, so they had to wander around for another 38 and a half years. And so they got tired of manna. They weren't supposed to eat it for 40 years. They were supposed to eat it for about maybe a year total. But they did. Now, it's a picture. How they griped and rebelled, but it's a picture of God's provision because Jesus is what? We saw in the Gospel of John, he said, I'm the true manna that came down from heaven. The third thing is Aaron's rod. It's a picture of man's rebellion. They rebel against Moses and Aaron and God's authority because Moses and Aaron were the ones placed by God to be the leaders, and they're griping and griping and griping and griping. And by the way, be really careful. If you've read what happened when people rebelled against the leadership that God had put in place, Dothan and those guys all rebelled, and 250 men came with these censers, and they're going to stand and fuss at God because they got Moses and Aaron as the leaders. And fire came out and killed 250 people just like that. And somebody had to go, and somebody said, go pick up all those censers. You know, I had to go pick them up. And Dothan and, and, and his family, they were all standing there, and the earth opened up, and boom, that was it. And that was a picture of man's rebellion going against it, but it was a picture of God's provisions because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So inside the Ark of the Covenant was man's rebellion and God's provision. 
Now, have you ever thought about this? That in the box is the rebellion. What's on top of the box? Huh? A golden lid, which is a picture of Jesus Christ. It's called the what? The mercy seat, which is the same as the propitiation. It's where God is satisfied. So in between man's rebellion and, in a sense, the wrath of God is Jesus Christ, our provision, the mediator. It's, it's beautiful. Everything about it is so beautiful. So in the ark, man's rebellion, law, provision, leadership. In the ark is God's provision, and, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. We need a Savior. It's so amazing when you think about it. If you, if, you, if you said, okay, what about us? Let's just take Ten Commandments. There were 613, 618, just over how you want to count it. Uh, if you only take the top ten, how many have we broken? Ten, right? He said, well, I, I, I've never murdered. But he said, if you, Jesus said, if you hate, you do what? You murdered. And, I mean, you looked on somebody with lust. Well, you did this. And we say, oh, oh, which start? Ooh, uh, yeah, I did that one. Yeah, I did that one. did that one. So we, we rebel. We've broken the law. We, who wants to be the boss? We want God to be the boss or we want to be the boss? We want to be the boss. Who's the leader here, you know? And then you think about provision. What does God do every day? He provides for us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And what do we do? How come it's this way? How come I don't have this? How come it's broke? How come, it... you know, over and over again, we need a Savior. And God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. When you think about the tabernacle, it, it was, you know, you see the whole thing, but the ark was the key. Because that's where God is satisfied. You know, I use this story. I talk to people. And, and uh, you know, most people believe that they need to do something to satisfy God. Whether it's going to church, trying to live a good life, keeping the law, being a good person, getting baptized, coming back, you know, doing all these different things they think they need to do in order to satisfy God. And the truth is, you can't satisfy God. Why? Number one, you can't do it. Number two, he is already satisfied. He is satisfied in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. A lot of people say, I've got to do something to get to God. God says, you don't have to do anything to get to me. It's already done. I'm satisfied. There's a story, and I've told this one before. There's a story that Harry Ironside was a great speaker, and he would go to different places, and he would teach. And the story is this man came late he always wanted to hear Dr. Ironside, but by the time he got there, the whole meeting was over. And he kind of stayed, and he saw Dr. Ironside, and he went running up to him and said, Dr. Ironside, I missed the whole thing. What do I have to do? What do I have to do to please God? And Dr. Ironside said, it's too late. And he said, oh, I know it's too late. I know I missed the meeting and everything. What do I have to do to please God, to satisfy God? And Dr. Ironside looked at him and said, I, I told you it's too late. And, and he didn't get it. And as Ironside was walking away, the guy grabbed Ironside and said, you've got to tell me. What do I have to do? He said, I told you it's too late. He's already satisfied in Jesus Christ. And it's the truth. It's powerful. Chapter 40, verse 17. Now, in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, their tabernacle was erected. Now, I want you to think about this. This is Mount Sinai, and the tabernacle is erected. And I think they're going to ultimately be there about a year so they've been gone from Egypt for a year. They've been there for close to about a year. And then they got an 11-day trip, and then they're supposed to go into the land. 
And think about it, the whole group of people that refused to trust God to go in the land never got to go in the land. They all died. And their children, who they said, we're so afraid for our children, God says, your children will go in, but you won't. This generation will die. So it was all completed. Now, notice again, look, and we're going to read this together. Look at verse 20. Oh, yeah, look at, go ahead, look, well, look at verse 18. Moses erected the tabernacle, laid its sockets, set up the boards, inserted the bars, erected his pillows, spread the tent over the tabernacle, and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now watch, look what he does first. And by the way, whenever we usually talk about the tabernacle, and when I study the tabernacle, when we study it in, in, in the fall, we're going to go from the outside in, because that's our view. When he gives the instruction to Moses, guess what he does? He goes from the inside out. Because that's his view. Watch. Then he took the testimony and put it in the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. What is the testimony? Hmm? That's all those things. Yeah. He put the testimony, put it in the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. So he starts with the ark. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord commanded Moses. So he put the ark in the back room and put the veil there. Then watch. Then he put the table in the tent meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. Okay, tell me, what goes on that table? The showbread. Look at the next verse. He set the arrangement of the bread in order as it was before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. What's supposed to happen to the lamp? They're going to what? Burn it. Watch. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. What's next? What's the third thing in that room? the golden altar of incense. Then he placed the golden altar in the tent of the meeting in front of the veil. What do you do on this altar? You burn what? Incense. And, and, and he burned fragrant incense on it just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now watch. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. This is the veil to go out. Then he set up the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering just as the Lord had commanded. What's in between the brazen altar and the, temp- and the tabernacle? The laver. He placed the laver between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water on it for washing. Now watch what he did. From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting, when they approached the altar, they washed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. He did the whole thing. Set it all up. Now let me ask you something. What does the word tabernacle mean? Huh? It it has an idea of booth, but it's, it's an idea of a temporary place. Tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. Why would it be called a temporary dwelling place? Huh? Okay, they didn't have the temple, but what, what did you say? They got to move it because what, what is gonna, what's going to happen? We're going to see it in just a few minutes. The glory of the Lord is going to come. And in the daytime, it looks like a what? A cloud. In the nighttime, it looks like fire. And so... As long as the cloud or the fire is there, they stay right there. But what happens when the cloud goes up? Everybody pack up. And there's certain people, their job was to go to the back room, but you couldn't go in there. So you take some of the veil 
And you step in there, and you cover up the Ark of the Covenant, and the poles are sticking out, and the guys pick up the poles, and you take down everything, and you cover it up, and you carry it to wherever God tells you to go. And then when the cloud stops, put it all out, and they put it all out. It is amazing. Look at verse 33. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the veil for the gate with the court. Thus, Moses finished the work. Now, the tabernacle on the earth was patterned after what? There is one in heaven that looks just like it. Now, let me tell you something. When we get to the book of Hebrews, which will be sometime in our lifetimes, when we get to that study next, next fall, we're going to see a verse that says... Jesus Christ took his blood into the tabernacle in the heavenly places and poured it out as the final payment for all sin forever. The one on the earth is a pattern. The one in heaven is the real one, not made with hands. That is, as the writer of Hebrews says, not part of this creation. And Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, took his blood and poured it out into the heavenly tabernacle. Wow, that is amazing. Well, look what happened. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What's another name sometimes for the glory of the Lord? What's the term that people use? Shekinah glory. Yeah. And so God comes to be, I think it's the next one. God came to be in the midst of his people. Think about that. This is what they were afraid wasn't going to happen. Remember, he had said something to them about, I'm not going to be there with you in the middle of you. But he's, he is. And they all dealt with their sin, and they said, oh, we're so sorry, we won't ever do a golden calf again. <laughs> like we say, oh, we won't ever do that again. But anyway, he comes, and he dares. And notice, notice verse 35. And, and, and by the way, that's what they needed. And, and, and the truth is, by faith, when we trust in Jesus Christ, he comes to live inside of us. I think i got a slide on that. Uh, by faith in Jesus Christ, we have God in us. He comes to live in us, First Corinthians six nineteen and 20. What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He lives in us. But look what it says. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That is amazing, isn't it? And watch. Throughout all the journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. Wow. So if the cloud went up, the people left. If the cloud was not taken up, they didn't move. Sometimes they'd be at places, no telling how long. And if you said to them, how long are you going to be here? They said, we have no idea. We have to do what? We have to trust God. We have to wait on We have to decide. God's going to tell us when to go and what not to, you know, when to go and what not to, what not to do. Watch. But throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Wow. God was with his people. They could see his presence. It's so special but because we don't see it, but we know it. Jesus Christ said, I and you, you and me, the Holy Spirit in us, we, he's there. And as you keep going, you see, they've got the tabernacle, right? What's the book of Leviticus about? What do you think of when you hear the word Leviticus? What do you think of immediately? 
Levi, the, the, the tribe of Levi, the, the priest. The, well, the book of Leviticus is all about the sacrifices. Because, see, now you got the tabernacle. He said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer this kind of sacrifice. These are the animals you may bring. I want you to offer this kind of sacrifice. These are the animals you may bring. And so he tells them all this stuff. That's what Leviticus is about. Uh, would y'all like to go through that? Probably not, okay? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things in there, but it, it, there's so much detail that really we're not under the law system. We're not under that. And so, not that it doesn't mean anything because it, it's got great pictures, but it's not really in a sense for us. As we finish, let me just close with a brief overview. When you think about the book of Exodus, three big sections. First of all, we see God's redemption and deliverance of his people from the bondage of Egypt. First part of the book is how God raised Moses up, brings Moses back after training him for 40 years. Think about this. Moses' life can be divided into three 40-year time periods, right? The first 40 years where? Egypt. The second 40 years where? Backside of the desert wilderness. The last 40 years leading the nation, of, the nation of Israel out and wandering around. The first 40 years, he thought he was trained. He was trained in war, and as an Egyptian, that wasn't his training. The next 40 years, he's a shepherd in the backside of the wilderness. That's his training to shepherd the people of Israel for the final 40 years. That's what you get. So we see God's redemption, the deliverance of his people from bondage in Egypt. God raises up a nation of slaves and brings them out. He does the miracles, the plagues. The key thing is the Passover, and that's a foreshadow of who? The Passover is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And we see him coming out. We see this exodus. We see him crossing the Red Sea. We see God's redemption. And in the truth, we all have a Passover lamb. Jesus Christ died for us. We pass from death to life. Second, the book has God's provision and protection of his people. That's what we see over and over. They leave Egypt. They go into the wilderness. And they come to a place there's no water. And they gripe, and he gets them water. They come to a place the water's bad. They throw stuff in there, it's good. They come to a place, something he hits the rock, water comes out. There's food every day for them. I mean, he just takes care of them. They've never really fought in a battle, and they they fight and win. Uh, I mean, it's just over and over God protects. The last thing is God sets his people apart, setting apart of the nation, giving them the law, the tabernacle for worship and fellowship. He makes them a different people. There's nobody like them. There's nobody like them. God has done the same for us. He set us apart. How has he set us apart? When you believe in Jesus Christ, you go from death to what? From darkness to, from being the child of Satan to being a child of God. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you're alive, raised up, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Exodus, God deals with his people. It foreshadows how God deals with us. What a book. It's so great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm almost sad to end it. Maybe we ought, let's go another time. No, we, we, we won't. It's good. Let me give you some applications, okay? Realize that God has a provision to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Just like he delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt through the Passover lamb, he has delivered us from the bondage of sin through his son, Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're supposed to die and be separated from God. Jesus Christ came and was our substitute. He, he, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are redemption and deliverance. I hope, and I'm, I'm, I don't ever want to assume, but I hope every one of you in this room, you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you understand it's not your goodness or works or righteousness, anything you've ever done. God has a provision for you. That's Jesus. He died for us. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Second, realize that God takes care of us day by 
day. We saw it all the way through the book of Exodus. As we go through life, he provides and protects. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs. Hebrews 13, he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He is our strength and our shield. He, he takes care of us day after day after day after day. We just not have to worry. I mean, it's easy to worry and we worry, but we, just, we shouldn't worry. Because he's there and he's the provider, protector, he's everything. The third thing, and this takes us to the, to the book as well, let's worship our Savior. See, the Jewish people, they had the tabernacle and the presence of the Lord and the sacrifices and, and it was acts of worship and fellowship and love and forgiveness and all those kind of things. And we have the same thing. Think about what, what, what God was like. We saw it in the book of Exodus. He's compassionate and gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He loves, his love is to all for all generations. He forgives sins and he deals with sin. That's what kind of God we have. May we worship Him. That's who He is. So from our study of Exodus, we realize that God, through Jesus Christ, has delivered us and redeemed us. May we worship Him as He provides and protects us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a, what a book. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Exodus. Uh, thank you for all the things that we've seen over this uh, 16 months of studying. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. We thank you that you have provided a way of salvation, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died and rose again. And we believe in him. We're saved and saved forever. Thank you, Lord, that you take care of us day after day after day after day. You'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? Lord, may we worship you. May we realize who you are and what you have done. And every day we get up, we live for you and worship you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. I know we went over just a little bit tonight. Any questions or anything? Yes. I think so. That's part of it. Part of it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, what, the, what are the purposes for setting the nation of Israel apart? Is there supposed to be the light to the Gentiles? Now, they didn't always do a very good job. In fact, it's going to be hard to be a light to Gentiles if you call them dogs. You know, after a while, see, it's the same thing that happens. Sometimes we say, okay, we're God's children. We have eternal life. We're going to heaven. These poor old raunchy people out here today, they don't know anything. We don't even want to talk to them. See, we're missing it. And that's the same thing the Jewish people did. They said, we're God's people. We got the law. We got everything. What other people group have? Anything that we have? Nobody. We're the greatest. And instead of saying, we've been entrusted with a responsibility, they said, we're the best, and sometimes we do the same thing. We've been entrusted with the responsibility, but sometimes we say we don't want to be out there among those people when we ought to be saying we've got to get out there among those people. That's who we're sent to. So, great point. Oh, yes, Gary. Oh my gosh! I've not thought of. I've not added it up. Okay, it's good. You know, there were, if you add it all up, there were like six hundred and eighty something thousand fighting men coming out of Egypt when they counted them all, and that was the men, basically twenty and above. And so, if you then go back down and say women and children, there were at least two million people that came out, and uh, just yeah, it, that'd be that'd be a neat thing to see it that way, wouldn't it? Yeah. There's so many things in the scripture that just seemed to match, you know? It's just amazing how God worked all that out.
Anything else? Okay, next week we'll spend one lesson on the tabernacle, just putting together all these different things. I figured we could spend three to four minutes on each area, which will probably be about 30 minutes. Okay, and then in the fall, when we get back on Sunday nights, we'll do um, maybe an eight to ten week study on the tabernacle and then go to the book of Hebrews. If you've never studied the book of Hebrews, it is very hard in certain places. And there are several passages that people misread because they do not understand who the book was written to and the purpose of the book. Once you have that, the book flows fairly easily, and it is a great picture of showing how we've moved from law to grace and how it all ties together. It's a beautiful book, so we'll get that next fall sometime. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for the fun we have. Thank you for each one who's come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you all.